It's all in the game with Neil Atkinson and David Downey. Everything and anything football. It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. All in the game, City Talk 105.9. Neil Atkinson and Dave Downey through with you until 7 o'clock. I think I've just decided we're going to talk about the snooker into part three. Happily, I would happily do so. Dave went last night to the Crucible, so we'll have a little chat about the Crucible at the, at the back end of part three because uh, if you've not been the Crucible, then uh, I think it needs some description for you. We'll get into that later on. Uh, Dave and Carlos went, which is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, part two, we'll talk about Liverpool's 0-0 draw against West Bromwich Albion. But Dave Downey... 3-0 and you still don't sing are you happy for once <laughs> I, I wouldn't be singing personally and a lot of people would label that at me as well I, I am happy I'm, I'm really upbeat about uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday's performance to be honest with you um, n- not least because I went to snooker after it so it was a great day all <laughs> it's all. a great day but, but it was um, it was a a real shot in the arm uh, type of performance in terms of you know you're looking for, around at the team and you're thinking where do we go from here? You're looking at the summer with a very pessimistic view and thinking that there won't be enough to supplement what we actually need. And then they put out a performance like that and then all of a sudden you start thinking, well, hang on, this lad was good. And it was just a, a, a reminder of how good Everton can be on the day. And the point I made to uh, Sangi and Lowy in the previous hour was I, I think if you didn't know who was in charge of that match... And you put it on a screen, you could equally think David Moyes was in charge because it had that uh, st- those those spells of intensity we always used to talk about when Moyes was in charge. In a big game at home against a big side, there were those 20-minute bursts of relentless pressing uh, players breaking forward at every opportunity. We learned, and, and the great thing to see under Martinez was, there was that was all done within the confines of minimal possession within the game. Mm. And I, I think that was as enjoyable as anything else, really, seeing that another team were allowed to have possession. And, and let's make no mistake about it, Everton allowed United, uh, particularly on either flank, I thought initially, first 15 minutes, they were they were really threatening with Valencia on Osman. I thought that would be a real weak point for us. Um, but when he got it out to Young as well, again, he troubled Coleman a little bit. But largely it was played in front of our two banks of four and then when we broke we, we broke with direct pace Lennon was a big feature again um, McCarthy showed a lot of what I think he can become in an Everton shirt and, and, and you know you, you know, it's no secret of how much of an admirer I am of Jordan Henderson I think he'll very much put himself in that sort of bracket in, in the future if if he if, if he's allowed to and, and by that I mean having a midfield partner who's more competence and consistence as Gareth Barry has been. It may be Gareth Barry still, but one who, who who shoulders the burden of their own responsibility as well as as well as someone else. Reminded, reminded me of the uh, the victory against Arsenal last season. Yeah, in terms of the fact on. that you were yeah. you were very happy that day. Yeah, when you uh, it's it's this idea. I think I think pressing's a fascinating thing in football because I think we've got this. <coughs> John Gibbon says this all the time. Firstly, we've it does feel as though we've collectively decided the only way you can play, and that's not true. There's loads <laughs> of other things that you can do, but because it's the thing that you now notice. I think secondly, it's it's quite English and it's quite Liverpool, and I mean Liverpool is the whole. City, not just the, not just uh, one side. What I mean by that is it's that idea of work hard, put a stint in. That's what mm. you like to see. That's that's what this city's sub- football supporters likes to see from the footballers. You know, I think this idea that you know you win your personal battles, you work hard, all that sort of stuff. I think that that's you know that's a m- massive part of it. But the thing we forget is y- you choose the press. You don't just do it all the time. And I thought that Everton pick the moments you pick your moments I think and the thing I, the impression I got watching watching Everton versus United was this idea of well we're gonna we're gonna have the ball back whenever we want it 
but we're going to let you have it for yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it, that's what it seemed like to me. But for, for the next 15 minutes, we're going to just keep getting the ball back off you because that's, we're good enough to do that. But now we're just going to let you have it for a minute or two and you go and... And I think that that's something which, you know, it echoes down, I think, um, all sorts of sides that have, that have played football in this city since, you know, since you know, since 1977, you know. I think that it's, something, it's, it's, it's a feature of... It's, it's a feature of just simply good football, I think, is the idea of choosing your moments, picking your moments when you're going to just completely yeah. dominate the football match and I thought that Everton did it to great effect against Manchester United you know and, and, and it's something that the Goodison crowd loves but just that idea of well for the next 15 minutes we're going to be much better than you we've decided yeah. and I think that that's something which is it's really hard to do and I think it's testament to this to, to this crop of Everton players and I think you said before about McCarthy I think McCarthy's got a huge future in that if that's what Everton are going to do because he can do all aspects of the game he's not just someone who's headless mm. he's not someone who's just defensive he's someone who can who can take the ball off you and then do something with it he's someone who can run and terrify the life of out of you whether your side's got the ball or his side's got the ball and I think that that's something which you know it could be a bit of a coming of age moment for James yeah. McCarthy that game <clears throat> it really could be yeah I, I agree and and I think you know the reference I made to Henderson the, the, the point you've got to make is and it, it, it's an exciting one from an Everton point of view is he's he's at a better starting point than Henderson was when he come to Liverpool as mm. well um, he, he has that freedom of uh, knowing his position and knowing the reliance placed upon him already, he knows. Oh, he's a first team player. Yeah, he, he doesn't have any any growing to do in that sort of mm. sense. Whereas Henderson obviously had to find an identity for himself at the club, and there were a lot of other mitigating circumstances surrounding him um, in in his rise to prominence at Liverpool. But the the point you make about choosing when to have possession is a great one because I think that shows a lot about the confidence and discipline in your defensive abilities then. Because it's basically yeah. saying we, we, we'll allow you to have the ball because we know we'll stop you whatever you throw at us. And I thought <laughs> it's funny any time your football team drops ten yards, you, you genuine generally fear it. But I, I, for Everton, it worked well because we we got deep, we got to the edge of our own box, and for the exception of matter, a couple of times there wasn't that killer pass played. There wasn't that um, penetration that you'd, you'd usually associate with a United player like a, a Juan Mata. He, he showed it little glimpses, but he was largely nullified, uh, the block in the pressing. Even in that contained area of 15, 20 yards out from goal was exceptional, I thought. And uh, John Stones, uh, obviously, he's a major talking point from that game. And he's uh, he's just going from strength to strength, and he's refreshing to watch. I don't think I've ever watched the defender go about his business uh, as excited as I am about watching John Stones. He 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 makes defending enjoyable and an art. And I think any any former player, the likes of a Carragher and Gary Neville. Who, who mastered the art of defence in, in a lot of ways, they'd look at that and, and say, this is a fine exponent of it, you know what I mean? I think he, he's made defending look good on the eye again. Mm, very much so, and it's this, the the combination of these young players that Everton have got now, um, that spine, Lukaku, um, Lukaku, come back to Barkley in a second, but if you go, go just one in each position, Lukaku, uh, McCarthy and Stones, They've now got a lot of games under the belt. Mm. They're now genuinely experienced first-team footballers. Yeah, that was Stones' fiftieth. Yeah, for Everton, for Everton. Yeah. And, he, and he's had first-team games elsewhere. They're not, these now, these aren't lads who, who now are, are wet behind the ears in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's one of the things that came through in that performance uh, from Everton, mm. for Everton. For Everton, these aren't lads who you know. Lukaku's played football in two countries. He's you know he's he's he scored now double figures. I think in three consecutive seasons. This lad is. 
isn't he's not messing around. Mm. And I think that this is where but he's still simultaneously young. And it's if this is if this season becomes one for Everton where a few of these players the main achievement is that these lads have matured into the 22, 23, 24 year old players you need to carry you for three or four seasons. Where, whichever football club you are, you need three or four of these right the way through the middle of every single team. If that's what they've, they've got from it, then that's, that's no disaster now. You know, it's now looking like it might yeah. to be a top half finish. They've got through a fair bit of adversity, these lads, and they've they've done it through growing, and that's the big thing I took from it. There was it was the maturity of the performance. It wasn't just you know it, it, a lot of what Everton did well at times last year was there was exu- there was a youthful exuberance to it. But as I say, this reminds me more of the <coughs> not the three three against Liverpool, for instance, where it was too. If I say naive, it might be slightly patronising, but too 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 for both sides, it, you know. But it was too very sides, raw, wasn't it? Two raw yeah. sides just going head to head and really playing the football. But it was more like the Arsenal game at the end of last season. Where it was, it was, it was forensic in a sense, and but it's forensic and the, and it's forensic elements are being carried out by these young lads, not mm. by not by the older heads. The older heads aren't carrying them now. It's the young lads who you're seeing the surgical precision from. Yeah, it, it was crafted. It, it was it was very precise, wasn't it? You, you could see there was a plan um, to be carried out, and it was it was done expertly and. It just makes me think back to what you said about Everton being the squad on, as a whole, not having that. You know, group of players who are at their prime. Uh, it's, it's very encouraging to see those approaching that age, like you say, those approaching 22 and beyond, are there with experience under the belts at that stage. Uh, you know, how often do you see a 20, a 20 year old centre half who the whole country's should, well should be lauding over uh, and drooling over his potential for the, for his national side, no less. At the age of twenty, do you mm. know what I mean? He's he's been he's been fantastic. Well, he's he's, he's rare. I mean, I mean the, the fascinating thing about Stones is that he's rare. Fundamentally, you know, United uh, going back to twenty twelve, United paid eighteen million quid for Phil Jones, and then didn't use him at centre half. You know, mm. Liverpool were interested in that summer. He, he just impressed nineteen playing for Blackburn, looked a really good player, looked potentially excellent. Phil Jones, but then when he got to United, he got shunted around. They didn't want to use him at centre half. They were obviously thinking giving him some time on the pitch would be a good thing. Whereas two things. Have happened one and it could even be linked to the positional moves one he's ended up getting a bit of a seeming a bit injury prone mm. but two he's never bedded in to the position that they actually where they impressed and what they bought him to do it's a <laughs> strange one that isn't it with him with Phil but, Jones but I think it's full stop I think it's an issue that the that the the top four or five in the country it's a, it's a, it's a problem full stop you well, know let's quite... remember uh, John Stones was thrown in the right back um, yeah. uh, you know picked I think he was I'm right in saying he's picked the head of Coleman at, uh, on a couple of occasions yeah. not least at Anfield as well when, when we got battered 4-0 so you know just sorry to interrupt you Neil what you were going on no. about but that, that sort of thing where you see players of that age sort of being shoehorned into different positions uh, I suppose it, it's it's again refreshing to see someone who's actually stuck to what they're supposed to do Well, and, and, that, and it's a huge testament to Martinez I think because you know Ferguson couldn't get Phil Jones in his side he couldn't really get Chris Smalling in his side and that's one of the reasons why they've got this odd arrested development as footballers at Manchester United you know Zuma who's has played defensive Field sometimes this season for Chelsea. Mourinho is not going to give him a go. He can't. Mm. He can't get a run on that team, and it's understandable why not. Because your job is to is to win football matches, but 
you know, there's two Liverpool managers haven't used Quates, and now he's, it looks as though his talent's gone to seed effectively uh, up in Sunderland. He needs to go somewhere where he's going to get regular games. Mm. Right, the Liverpool bought that Alori lad for seven million quid. They haven't gone near him. I love that that Alori lad. That Alori no lad. I've never, about never seen him. Yeah. Don't even know what he looks like. Could be, could be, <laughs> he, he could be doing a tower tour right now, Dave, and he'd, <laughs> and he'd walk past me and I wouldn't even notice. Um, in fact, you know, it sounds it sounds remarkably egocentric. This, but there's every chance Thiago Alori's got more idea what I look like than I have of what he looks Actually, like. Actually it is, yeah. he, he could be the only footballer that's who's out you being football. in the slightest bit big-headed as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. That's absolutely crazy, but it's very, very possible. Uh, basically, all I'm saying is, I think I've got more Twitter followers. Um, <laughs> no, what I mean is, across the board on this, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Man City, Man City, but Nastasic came through for City and now he's just been completely bombed out and mm. can't get near it. They were using Demichelis ahead of him. They've seen that at times this season as well. My whole point on this is, to have a 20-year-old centre-half who looks ready to go up against a top-four side in the Premier League and not just go up against a top-four side in the Premier League but be the best player on the pitch which is what John Stones was able to do where his nearest competition is James McCarthy to, to be that player at the age of 20 it puts Everton in a, in a practically unique position you don't get this very often Mm. it really does not happen to a great to a huge number of footballers that they have that opportunity and it doesn't happen to a lot of football teams that this lad's in now <clears throat> excuse me sorry he's bedded in and i think that he's he can now begin to think, start to think to himself and Martinez can start to think we can build a team around these lads not around one of them but we can build a team around all of them mm-hmm. and I think it bodes really really well for Everton it shows the idea of growing together going into next season of growing together it still puts loads of pressure on the summer because the, the next thing about these these three supplementing, supplementing them because the, the other thing the other thing about these three is that the, the three players I've mentioned and you can add Barkley to that list as well and you can arguably add Coleman to that list who should hopefully come back to form for Everton next season Season, is you should be able to look at them and say these lads are good enough to come top six every year to play in a side that comes top six every single year and it's down to Everton now and it's down to the Everton board and it's down to down to Martinez to build around this the what this core of really really exciting players because Stones is hugely exciting yeah and I think it's vital I think you touched upon it then it's vital to keep a core of them not just single out one um, which you would have said for all intents and purposes would have been Ross Barkley at a certain point yeah uh, probably for the majority of the last three years you would say he's the focal point of this side let's build around him whereas you get a cluster of them and Neil Sands they're all through the middle of the pitch yeah that's the thing and Neil Sands touched upon it in the last show he he was saying these lads all win together as well they're all in it together type of thing not not, not to go off on a tangent about being cheesy or whatever but uh, these lads sort of win, lose get a camaraderie going between them the, they all buy into a philosophy that's Everton rather than just very much so and everybody else being the spare parts of that yeah. wheel um, and, and, and they become the nucleus of what should be uh, and, you know a promising side for years to come and uh, yeah, it's, it is very exciting when you look at it. I'm not going to get carried away with it because it's still been an awful season. <laughs> but like you say, the, I think the, the, the line to draw under it now at this moment in time is the, the very least it has been is one that matures these lads and gets them primed and ready for better seasons to come. Everton are better than Swansea, Everton are better than Stoke. You know, the league, it might end up this season with the way in which the league table ends up going, that they're not ahead of either mm. of those two sides. But Everton are better than Swansea and they're better than Stoke. Whether or not they're as good as Spurs and Southampton who are then the next, the next leap on, <clears throat> that's what they've got to challenge themselves. Everton last season were better than Stoke 
sorry, than, than Spurs and Southampton have been mm-hmm. this season. You know, for all the fuss around Southampton, it's understandable to a certain extent. I'd rather play them than than, than Martinez as Everton last season. Mm-hmm. You know. It, 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 in terms of who impresses you, yeah. So I think you know, I, I I do think that there's there's loads and loads of room there for, for them to grow together. The key thing is keeping them together, mm-hmm. and I think that it's it's you know it's 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 a good observation from Sangi there. The idea that you you build this camaraderie through winning, and that's again this is where the managers now have got an obligation on them. I think which is to get those four players. I'd add Coleman to that list if Garbutt stays going into next season. You could conceivably add Garbutt to that list, yeah. and then you're looking at maybe mm-hmm. trying to find one other to play somewhere. But those four lads, plus Coleman, plus Garbutt conceivably, plus one other if you can find it and get them on the pitch together as much as possible in order to build that because that's the sort of backbone that if you can keep it and keep them moving together and keep them improving together and growing together and getting opportunities then you that they'll win a trophy together yeah. at some point they'll, they'll, they'll mature into into a group of players who are 23, 24, 25 who win a trophy together it might not be you know could be a league cup might not be necessarily you know a, a, an FA cup but they'll win something together and it's just keeping that keeping that flow I think is the most important thing and and this is where there is an onus on the manager and on those players to, 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 to therefore see every day as an opportunity to to grow this entire thing yeah I think, I think it's an excellent point uh, having established that these lads are very much the future of Everton. It's important to keep them at the centre of that and sort of not get carried away with one individual at a time type of thing. Mm. You know, we've had the the times where we've raved over Barkley. Now we're doing it over John Stones uh, and and similarly James McCarthy as well. You treat them as a collective, then I think, you know, it's quite frightening the potential that they, they, they could go on to achieve. I've got this thing in my head. It's this. Imagine they played for Spurs. Mm. I've got this because the, the way in which they be written about it's so much more convenient for the yeah. generalised London media to sort of to be able to go you know <laughs> if they if you had those four and they were all playing for Spurs and they'd be going mental for them that's not to disparage Kane because I think if, you, if you're a goal scorer wherever you are in the country if you score 20 league goals people are going to say this lad's worth looking at but it is that, that bit more down there isn't it, it? it is yeah I mean I just remember this, uh, Tony Barrett um, there, was a, there was a performance Everton gave I think when Moyes was in charge and I, I think it was Seamus Coleman I think it might have been Coleman I can't remember but I remember Tony Barrett got into an argument with, with another journalist when they'd Said it, this, oh, it might have been Barkley, the emergence of <clears throat> when it was when he, when they, when they went and played well in London, and, and uh, Tony's attitude was been playing well, great up in the northwest for ages, well, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. that, bu- that, that bubble just won't be burst, will it? <laughs> but I think um, if the, you know if this this crop of Ever- Everton players was playing in London, then I think there would be this the, the, there'd be this fuss around them. I mean, they'd have a nickname. Makes, makes me grateful that they're not Neil. Exactly, it, it puts out the pressure on. Exactly, them, it does put out, and they'd have a nickname by now, <laughs> and yeah. all that sort of stuff. You know, and it'd be. Uh, but I think it's. The, uh, the four musketeers and I think yeah. it's just the it is this it's getting this keeping them taking over and that's the challenge now for Martinez I think and that's the challenge going into su- the summer for Everton and this is where I think some hard choices will have to be made because I don't think Everton can they can't look th- 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 any of those other four players in the eye or the supporters in the eye if they let any of them go this summer I don't think you can you know you can't pull the we 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 really think we can we can push on from here and come top six and maybe yeah. better next season if you let any of those four go. And in, in particular, look at you know you take each one of them as an individual for for a minute in, in terms of if they were to leave, you think well how are you, how are you replacing a talent like that? And I think it's impossible. It's as you like um, the, the Suarez debate with Liverpool last season. Who do you replace Luis Suarez with? But the answer is you simply can't. You take John Stones for instance recently. Where do you get another one like him from? That there simply isn't one. Uh, this is all in the game, Neil Atkinson and David Downey. What we're going to do is, in the context of this conversation, we're actually going to talk about Mario Balotelli, believe it or not, after the break. 
It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson. On City Talk 105.9. Indeed, indeed. City Talk 105.9. Neil Atkinson, David Downey. Previous part, we were talking about this idea that Everton have got this core of four players. This core of four players um, going through the centre of that size. Barkley slightly off to one side in a few centres, but that it's Stones, McCarthy and uh, Lukaku. There's this issue... I think watching Liverpool against West Brom, and the more I've spent, more time I've spent thinking and talking to people about Liverpool versus West Brom, Dave, where fundamentally Liverpool's three best players, give or take, you know, moments in games and all that sort of stuff, Liverpool's three best players are Henderson, Sterling, and Coutinho, and there's this massive issue, which is that none of them suit Liverpool's centre forward options, and so you play Balotelli, and someone's nose is out of joint. And arguably, all three players aren't able to play the game they'd most like to play when Balotelli plays. So Liverpool are crying out for goals at the moment. Sterling centre-forward worked for a while, but he's not a natural centre-forward. And I think we're all grown up enough to acknowledge that, that he's, that he's a stopgap measure. So you're in a situation where you pick Balotelli because he's the best out of Barini, Balotelli and Lambert. You're picking him, but each and every one of those players... Henderson's... I also still think Henderson's game's compromised by Gerrard, but Henderson's game's compromised by Balotelli. Coutinho's game's compromised by, by Balotelli. What does Coutinho want? He wants runners in behind. He wants to be able to slip little through balls. He wants to be able to, to, to take people on and, and, and have space created for him for him to go and fill from a deep area. Sterling, not entirely dissimilar, but he want, again, he wants that, that, that immediacy of movement and he wants to be able to play as close to the middle of the pitch as possible. What does Balotelli want? He wants... I think he wants balls across the box. He wants it played into his feet and his chest when he's static he wants to hold people off he wants to look for little layoffs and you're in a situation where I think if you're Brendan Rodgers and it's because again I think Balotelli's now got you know 105 minutes of football in his last two games behind him where he's done alright where if you're Mario Balotelli you're probably going home thinking well I'm doing alright here and uh, yeah I could do with getting a few more sniffs of chances in front of goal but I'm doing okay I'm, t- I'm doing my bit it's a bad time to be doing just alright though Neil it's, well firstly it's a bad time to be doing just alright but secondly it's the extent to which he clangs so I think that Berini's more of a natural fit, but he's obviously nowhere near as good as Balotelli. If Berini was as good at being the sort of striker Berini is, as Balotelli is the sort of striker Balotelli is, then I think Berini will get a lot more games for Liverpool in terms of the fact that you can see he's looking to play on the shoulder. You know, I think he suits a little bit more, but I don't think that these other players that Liverpool have, you know, have, have had a look at, I just don't think they, you know, they, they suit what it is that Balotelli's trying to do and therefore if you're Brandon Rodgers the very thing we just said about Martinez you've got this, these three, four quality players who are young you want to see win together grow together you compromise what they're good at in Henderson, Coutinho and Sterling almost whoever goes up front now and it's, it, you know it's, whilst all footballers are adaptable the, the, the other line on this is Sterling's never played never played first team football with someone like Mario Balotelli before all the time he's come through at Liverpool as a first team footballer he's played with with Suarez or Sturridge centre centre forward he's never actually had to play football with someone like that lad uh, in, a, in a first team setting that's not to you know that's just simply to explain that you must look at this fella and go why on earth are you doing that mm. these other fellas do this why are you doing that yeah. why aren't you do, you know this, this is not what I'm used to Coutinho, Coutinho I suspect is in a similar sort of boat Henderson you know it's, he's now been at Liverpool since 2012-13 and all the time Henderson's been at Liverpool Luis Suarez have been at Liverpool and then latterly with Sturridge as well and it's this real 
it really does seem like it, it, he just distorts so much of what's around him. And again, it's not he's clearly a good player. You know, it's it, it's unfair on him, and there's other ways to set up. But if you set if you want to get those three on the pitch, then you want to play. But you you say Mubalatelli needs a strike partner. It's quite difficult to work out how you get him a strike partner and get those lads all sufficiently involved. You know, you can't. That means that you're playing a four four two with Sterling and Coutinho shunted out onto wings, unless you're saying you're playing a diamond. But then you've got the issue with which is that one of the reasons why the diamond worked for Liverpool was because Sturridge and Suarez would work so hard out into the channels and onto flanks. And so if you were looking for that bit more width, they'd supply that for you and then Sterling would come through the middle. And Balotelli doesn't, that doesn't again, that doesn't suit him. He, 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 he was willing against West Brom, he was willing against Aston Villa, but he's not comfortable getting out into those wide areas. And this is where, and, and then there's the idea of, so you're going to play, you know, Brendan Rodgers doesn't really want to play two up front. It's not, and I say Brendan Rodgers like he's some sort of exception. I think it's probably fair to say that um, Wenger doesn't really play two up front. It's Sanchez arriving with whoever it is who's leading mm-hmm. the line, if it's Giroud. That Mourinho most definitely doesn't play two up yeah. front. That Van Gaal doesn't like to play two up front. It's Fellaini is more of an attacking midfielder with Rooney in front at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, Manchester City are probably the only side where you could say he likes to play two up front. And even Pellegrini has moved away from that at times this season so it's not like Brendan Rodgers is a bit of a weirdo in this but he doesn't like to play two up front and Martinez doesn't like to play two up front mm-hmm. doesn't like to play two up front and it's like so I've got to play two up front to accommodate to do the thing I don't want to do as a manager to accommodate Mario Balotelli and any one of my other two strikers who I think rubbish and simultaneously make me midfielders who I think are really good and over the future of the football side make them less effective you're saying that's the thing I might need to do are you? I might be actually, yeah, Brendan, yeah, but it's it's completely counterintuitive to so much of what the footballers want, what the manager wants, and yet Liverpool, you're looking at them against uh, West Brom and Chelsea, and you're going, lads, where are the where's the goal coming from? Where are the bodies in the box? Where's the risks? And it's quite frustrating. It's quite difficult to watch, and I think it's not. It's Liverpool's unsquareable circle has become harder and harder and harder to square as the season wears on, Dave. Yeah, that that is spot on. There are all over the place. You look at. The the times where I mean the, the time since Rogers um, made that decision to switch things up and become far more pragmatic in terms of his selection and his system, and it worked fantastic for Liverpool for so long. You sort of look at that and and, and what it's sort of becoming in recent weeks, and it's one where players are not not no longer confident in the roles in which they've been given and. There seems to be a lot of compromises being made in those roles that they're, that they're in at the moment, and you, you look, you're not getting the best of Coutinho because he has to do something else because Balotelli's there. You know, you're not getting the best of Henderson because, like you say, Balotelli. It, it, it's unfair on him because it sounds like we sort of label him out as as being the one, the full guy. But it's not. It's just simply because of his talents as a footballer and how he plays the game that doesn't fit in. Or vice versa, the others don't fit to his game. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's funny because I didn't live, I didn't think Liverpool played that poorly against West Brom. I, I really didn't. No, they didn't play poorly. I thought they deserved to win the game. Uh, and that that being said, you know when, when your options up front are Balotelli, Lambert, or Berini, there's only one direction you could see the summer going really, and I really hope it is for, for Liverpool's sake. I really hope it is that direction of bringing in somebody who can find the back of the net because that is the whole. Part that 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 is the sum of all the problems at the moment. The the Sterling ones and interesting because I I think that he he is that Sanchez type who will arrive late and will get you goals more instinctively than being relied upon to lead the line. And I think again it's been unfair on him and his skills as a player to be that striker. I mean people say he's a false nine, but uh, when he's been put there, he has 
he's had to do that role. He's, he's been he's more nine than false nine. Exactly, and he's not that player, and um, I think he deserves a bit of a break from people throwing that at him uh, as him not being a striker. Uh, Balotelli, similarly, he, he will be the scapegoat naturally because of everything else that goes with him, but you have to have sympathy with the with the, with the role in which other players are, are getting involved in. What, what seemed to be that great thing that you told me about where these players are being given that additional thing to think about on top of the stuff they're already doing really well. So all of a sudden becomes a little bit of a burden and the second guessing each other and thinking, why can't I go back to simply doing what I was brought here to do, what I should be well, in the team to do? They're, they're very much, you're Sterling and Ibe, and in the one the one passage of play, which, and Balotelli's actually involved in it, where uh, Ibe hits, hits the crossbar, Sterling and Ibe are not wide players who want to get out from under their feet and whip one in. The, 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 that's Why players not, want to run at people? They want to run at people and, be, and run at goal. Mm. Be coming inside and going at goal. And this is where, you know, they were used, I think there was this idea they'll go a bit wider against West Brom and see if we can maybe fashion a couple of chances for Balotelli out of that sort of that sort of thing. Maybe to a certain extent, again, the manager trying to solve a problem that isn't necessarily there in terms of the thing that they do very, very well is when I get around Balotelli, there's a little flutch yep. itself through and they work themselves out. And... I, I think that you know. I, I think that there's, there's elements here where I think the manager's having to try to sort of solve. He feels as though he's got to solve problems all the time, mm. and and this is now the, the the line I've ended up with today. The more I've spoke about this game, is that Liverpool have become for all the talk that Brendan Rodgers hasn't got a plan B. Liverpool over the course of the season have become a side that haven't got a plan A. They've got plans B through to Z. But they haven't got a plan A. There's no. This is the thing we do to try to score, mm. to try to get you know to to be Liverpool. You look at it this season. Four three three is different to the shape that starts. The four three three that Liverpool play uh, for the first hour against um, against West Brom probably for the whole game is different to the shape that starts against Aston Villa because that's a three four two one. But then that shape against Aston Villa changed from a three four two one to something that that was more of a four two three one for uh, before half time, and then after half time it went to a four one four one. So Liverpool have now played in the last four games certainly the last two games four different shapes the game before that was the game against Newcastle when they played Coutinho as a false nine that's a different shape again and the, the shape that I think a lot of us still sort of hark back to at the back end of last season the Diamonds and I don't know which one it is I don't know which and I know the one I don't want them to play which is the 4-2-3-1 I don't think that's worked for them I don't think I don't think it's a good setup for Brendan Rodgers um, and I don't think it's a good setup for these players because I think they become too static and don't break break through different bits, bits and pieces of lines but Liverpool have effectively become Aside without a shape, to become that I've got no idea what how we line up against Hull, and I think part of the problem with that is therefore the players don't either. Yeah. I don't think you know. I'm sure the stuff that will have been worked on. It wouldn't surprise me if it's actually the same as against West Brom, be off, just simply off the basis of the fact that they obviously won't have had time to do proper training to work on anything a little bit different. So it might be that one of the reasons why they line up the way they do against West Brom and don't change it is because they're looking at the fact that they've got two games almost back to back. But. I don't know that. I mean, I've got no idea if that's going to be the case. And the, the one that's looked the most effective is the one with the false nine that we did against Newcastle and we haven't seen since. Yeah. And this is where, you know, I, I think that this is... And, and as I say, the, the, the frightening thing is that there's still people who, who are critical of Brendan Rodgers and there's tons of reasons to be critical of Brendan Rodgers, but there's still people who are critical of Brendan Rodgers who would be critical of him saying, he's just too stubborn, he doesn't change enough for me. And all this sort of nonsense. Well, the argument now becomes he's changing too well, much. Well, yeah, <laughs> that is the argument. The argument is, you know, he's got no plan B, is that he's got 25 plan Bs. Yeah. But I don't know what the plan A is. And I don't think he does. I think if he was sitting here now, he'd say, well, Neil, how do you want to get some goals out of these lads? Yeah. And I think that the best way to get goals out of them, if he just wants to get goals out of the centre-forwards, is to play Balotelli, 
play Barini and get them around each other. And I do think that is the thing that, he, that he'd that do best, but that compromises almost everything else he wants to do in a football team. And neither of them are good. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're compromising with uh, Suarez and Sturridge... It's not really much of a compromise. No, it? you're playing Suarez and Sturridge, yeah. they're really good. But when you've got... When, you, when you're doing it, when you're saying, well, you know, I've, I've come up all the way through, I believe in yeah. 4-3-3, I believe in all this sort of stuff, this is what I'm going to do. Now, the one thing I'd maybe like to see is... And it could be Lambert, it could be whoever. The one thing he could do is play uh, Barini or Balotelli on a flank and give them an hour on a flank against Hull. That's the one thing I might like to see. So have one of them in the, so have Balotelli or Lambert in the middle and play Barini or Balotelli on a flank and play Sterling on the opposite flank and almost play this idea of get one of them to be sort of quite dick out about it. Just the idea of, of you're going to join more and then sort of have Henderson, mm. let's say it's on the right, and have Henderson cover the right a little bit more and then let Sterling be a left winger cutting in and see if that helps and that that's the only thing I think at the moment that if he, if he doesn't want to play two up front a classic two up front wants to play 4-3-3 maybe do that I understand wanting to get Jordan Ibe on the pitch but he's just had that game now on Saturday we're playing Tuesday I'd rest Gerrard as well you know with one eye on the Hull game but maybe do that to see if that helps you force it through mm. Yeah th- it's interesting putting a striker on the flank like that because it, it, it had Like Naismith exactly, Yeah exactly like Naismith I was thinking that and I was also thinking back to that Arsenal game versus Everton you mentioned last season with Lukaku he played there up against Monreal now that was obviously to exploit how poor Monreal was expected to be against Everton which obviously came to fruition but the fact that he was placed there and had the ability to come inside I think that could play into Balotelli's hands that in a lot of ways if he's the one that's chosen to play there similarly with Berini as well they're not they're not going to be the ones who, who beat men on the outside and whip a ball in they will naturally drift inside towards goal which allows them to link up with the likes of Coutinho um, it's Sid Sterling if he's there uh, as well if he's not on the other side I, I think that's a, probably a viable option Neil and probably you know you, you're looking at I mean you're looking at uh, compromises like you say you're not looking at actual genuine ideas where you think this is the way we should be doing it and I think that therein lies the problem for Brendan Rodgers at the moment doesn't it because He's he's looking. There's nowhere where he can't make a sacrifice, no matter what he does, what what position he's playing, uh, different players in, and you've just got to you've got to work out the sum of the parts of a certain system. Are they better than others at the moment? I you, suppose? Get, you get the feeling as well. As you, I, I'm beginning to get the feeling he's a bit tired of it. Mm. I think he's getting. You know, he's, in terms of the, the, some of what he's saying after matches and all this sort of stuff, he's now cited the idea of the, the shortage of goals in the squad. He's come out and said that quite publicly. I get the impression he's just a little. In the same way that I think Martinez came across a little tired earlier in the season, the way in which you know a year and a half ago Wenger would speak and you'd feel, God, this fellow's 62. You know, yeah. I think. That there's this, this that, that you know, I think we presume that managers are this constant, ever moving force of energy. You know, I think that Rogers, for the first time, is is just even in a sense more so than back last November. Last November, he just looked a bit lost uh, when it wasn't going so well. Currently, now he just seems a bit tired, a bit like, well, I was trying to do something. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I've got, I've got, the, I was trying to sort something out in, in this real sort yeah. of because I can't, type I can't thing. trust them to sort it out themselves now. There's not the goal. I've got, I've got to influence things to bring about goals. Whereas you know, there's the Wenger doesn't need to do that, particularly at this stage of the season. You know, he knows. Yes, playing against Chelsea is a different thing, but he, he knows Sanchez is good for one. Yeah, you, you see what I mean. And yeah. this is where I think there is this. 
and I think it's I think it's very human. I think it's understandable. It's the sort of thing that I think as supporters you don't really want to hear from a manager. But as I say, I don't think that I think Van Hal this season at times has sounded and seemed annoyed, tetchy. Why on earth isn't this just happening the way in which it should? I think that you know the only minute manager this season who hasn't seen like that Mourinho, and he spent the entirety of last season with this sort same, of demeanour of, yeah. of of seeming just generally irritable with almost everything. And I think Rogers is beginning to have that bit of a vibe now, and this idea that I feel as though I've got to do that bit too much. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I think Martinez was was coming a little bit like that at times earlier this season. And Definitely. I think it's I think it's 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 a very human response. Oh. The only problem is what you you know, lad. There's five games to go. But the L- thing the thing as well is, I mean, if you, if you're looking beyond that, where does he then centre his summer business around? What 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 does he choose as? The system in which he's going to find players to operate in. Yeah, I think this is a big. I think this is a big thing. It's something we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks. We'll go to the break in a second. But I think that there's got to be. I think that he's got to be able to articulate what it is that he wants to whatever is or isn't the transfer committee. There's almost certainly things like transfer committees at every club, but whatever it is, he's got to be able to say this is what I want. And I think it's critical. He's got to find his he's got to make his peace with two up front. And I understand not making your peace with two up front with Balotelli and Barini and so on and so forth. But I do think that strong arm tact having one tactic in your back pocket that is a strong arm tactic in this league if you've got real pretension to come in first or second. You're not going to have the steamroller Chelsea thing mm. that Chelsea have got. You're not going to have that. So I do think that you can look at what happened last season where Manchester City and Liverpool came first and second in the league and both sides were erring on the side of playing two up front ahead of one. Yeah, they move people around and all that yeah. sort of stuff, but the idea of playing two instead of one. And I do think that, you know, that's that's the thing I think I'd like to see him be able to say this is what this is we're going to base it we're going to have this set up for against the bottom 10 home and away this set up for, fi- for fifth to 10th home and away and this set up for the top four games mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to do buy me the players that do this this is all in the game Neil Atkinson and David Downey through with you until 7 o'clock everything and anything football it's all in the game on City Talk 105.9 all in the game City Talk 105.9 while Dave works out what time we leave you this evening it will be as we approach 7 o'clock I will uh, just uh, set the scene for a little bit of unlikely snooker chat I happened to spot last night on social media that Dave Downey and uh, Carlos had gone to the Crucible Theatre and I think what we're going we're to get into this now briefly with Dave if, if you like your snooker but you've never gone to the Crucible and I probably shouldn't say this because you know, I, I tried to get tickets this year, and, and the extent to which it was sold out was enormous. But if you like your snooker and you've never been to the Crucible Theatre, I can't recommend it highly enough. The first thing that Dave says to me when I asked him about it was, "It's unbelievable how close you are, isn't it? It really is yeah. un- unbelievable." And they all say it, and you're on the telly, and they're all talking about the Crucible, and they're going, "Yeah, it's unbelievable the atmosphere." It's, cliche, close. It? Yeah. it's become a cliche, but it's one of those cliches that's completely true. And you try to impress upon. I've been a couple of times, and you try to impress people with it. I find Dave, and they just sort of shrug it off like, "Yeah, yeah, they're close." No, it's like you're watching them in a snooker. It's like you stood around in a snooker club, no, isn't it? It is. It is unbelievable. You can hear them talking the queue, and there's no speakers on. Obviously, you can hear them talking the queue. You can hear them sighing. You can hear them telling the ref they want the white cleans. You're that close. There was a there was a, where they actually actually sit the players. It's not away from everyone. It's on the first row. There's people sitting next to them. If there wasn't like a a, a slight little. Uh, 
like like a holding Barrier, thing, yeah. holding thing, sponsored thing next to them. You'd mistake them for members of the audience wearing waistcoats. That that is how close you are to them, and it's a fantastic thing to do. And um, it, it surprised me how expensive it actually is to, uh, to to get tickets, especially for the obviously the latter stages as well. And uh, they've ramped up the last few years. I think I think yeah. there's more people now going, and all, you know it's a supply and demand thing, obviously. And the prices yeah. I've got against more than snooker. But <laughs> it's, it's hilarious though because we we parked virtually underneath the crucible in, in the car park, which again was extortionate uh, for three hours. I think it was about 15 quid for three hours parking. And uh, we come out and I thought, well, which which entrance shall we use? Oh, there's only one. There's one entrance, it's a theatre. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's a stage door around one side where the players come out and yep. get a taxi, by the way. And uh, there's a sta- there's the uh, main entrance wh- in which you go in and then there's a, a bit of a foyer all the way around. Uh, if you can imagine the Echo Arena scaled down about ten times. Yep. About Have you ever been on a tour of the tower? It's, ev- it's like that. It's the Everyman. Yeah, it is. It's, it it's is. like the Everyman. It really the, the the Crucible's equivalent in Liverpool is the yeah. Everyman Theatre. That's that's what the what this remarkable sport yeah. and event takes place in. And there's uh, four doors to get in uh, at each point in the arena. Obviously, around the uh, the the where the tables are themselves, and it, it's one of those things where you walk around, and as the doors open, it's obviously it's not your door, but you take a glint. You know, like you do when you yeah. walk past your steps on in the match. <laughs> yeah. And you can see the pitch. It's like, well, I can see the yellow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're that close. I can see that yellow ball there. And there's no bad seat. Um, it's just fantastically well put together. And The atmosphere is incredible. You know, you, you, make the, you make the misconception of thinking that it, it isn't deserving of a world mm. uh, sporting event. Because obviously the snooker's very, very niche, isn't it? But it, it, you'd think, hang on, Sheffield's a bit... Uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of Sheffield as a destination to host something on a world level. You wouldn't necessarily think of this place to host an event on a world level. And it's um, it's wonderfully well done. It's very... It, it, it's, I think it's a little bit... It's a bit left field, a bit obscure as a, as a venue. I think it's very, very well put together. And it's in a bit of a square and over the road there's the uh, Snooker yeah. Academy as well, where the BBC do all the filming of John Parrott and Hazel Irvine people like that and it was just it was fantastic the atmosphere is fantastic you know that you've been you'd never want it to be anywhere else you'd never you'd never no, want them to no, move it that's what I mean every year when they usually have that debate don't they with like yep. China and uh, bits of places when will you say they'll do it you yeah. say that they do it and you get more people in yeah you'd never want them to move no, it no you just you really wouldn't it'd be a shame it'd be like to, to me Everton leaving Goodison that sort of feeling it, it, it is brilliant and you must expect if, you, if you're any small fan of snooker you really should go and have a look at it who would you fancy to win it I think I think Sean Murphy will win it I've seen glimpses of him because he was on the other table last night uh, and unfortunately their match his match with Joe Perry their session finished before ours he absolutely battered Joe Perry I think he'll win it because he, he won the uh, the Masters just gone and he's, he's on fire he beat Joe Perry 13-4 I think it was in the end I like to look at Neil Robinson Robertson. Yeah, we're and coming, he's won it before. Yeah, we're coming to the end now. This has been all in the game this week. Unlikely snooker interlude.